Hey everybody, welcome to the 90th episode of the podcast. 90 weeks in a row and I haven't missed one. Uh, I can't believe I've actually made it to 90. Uh, I didn't really expect any of this when I started. I just, on the first one, I just kind of figured I would stick it out there and I assumed nobody would care and I'd stop doing it. But uh, it's been the opposite. A lot of people have, uh, have really gotten behind the whole idea of this. And I just thank everybody so much for everything, especially the Patreons who've been giving all their support for almost a year now. And uh, I just, I mean, this has been really cool and I really, really hope to keep doing it. Um, lots of changes going on, uh, lots of positive and I guess maybe negative coming up. Uh, I'll make official announcements and all that when it's all set in stone, but uh, I really hope to keep this up as long as I can. But the one thing I've been faltering on, and it's going to get worse, is email response. Um, I try really hard to respond to people's emails, but uh, I've had to just kind of ignore a lot of them, and it's going to get a lot worse, because I'm not really going to be around as much to answer them. And that's, like, no offense to the community, that was really just my job. Um, For years I had a job where so much of it was click and wait. You know, like, spend hours working on this big project, and then press a button, and then kill four or five minutes, and when the process ends, you know, do it again, and... There was a lot of time during the day where it was just very easy for me to go, well, i got nothing to do, let me just talk to some people and answer some emails, and now it's it's the opposite. Like, I, I have no time left, and I'm trying to get to all the emails, but um, the only thing I can suggest is, if you're talking about a product, definitely contact the people that are selling the product. Um, you know, it's. I, I understand if you've heard heard about it through me, why maybe you'd want to contact me, but definitely just stick with that. Uh, and I hope, I hope to have that new wiki up at some point. Um, it will happen in 2018, but that forum is really going to be focused on supporting people, and it'll be heavily, heavily policed. There's going to be no room for trolls or assholes or any of that stuff. Negative opinions, you know, opposing opinions, as always, are welcome, but I get no time for any of that, and neither is most of the other people I know. Uh, same with the YouTube comments. I just... Uh, you know, I, I'll, I've debated disabling those so often just because I don't have time to sift through and delete everybody that's just trying to get a rise out of people. Uh, and there's a lot. And, there, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes which is which, but there's a lot of those. So I'm going to try to keep at the podcast every week. I'm going to try to have a couple of other really cool and fun announcements coming up soon. But uh, the email support and the comment support is probably going to go down the tubes uh, with all these other things I have going on. So... Once again, thank you so much to anybody that supported the idea of this, the podcast itself, uh, to all the people that don't necessarily like me, but at least like that I'm doing uh, doing the work for them and getting the news out there, and that's totally cool. I love all you guys. So, guys, girls, hope, hopefully everybody knows when I say guys, I mean every, every human. But uh, thank you so much for all of that, and let's jump right into the news, I guess. First up, I want to do a mini-review of the Retrobit Super Retro Trio. It plays NES, Super Nintendo, and Genesis games. Uh, it's got controller port slots for everything, as well as uh, switches for what region. Um, I'm not really sure why it says P-E-N-J or P-A. So NTSC I get. Uh, P-E, would that be PAL? But what's with N-J and P-A? New Jersey and Pennsylvania? Uh and then it's got a switch to toggle between which controllers you use, uh, SNES or then Genesis and NES. Um, in the back, it's got HDMI and uh, composite video. Um, you cannot use HDMI and composite at the same time, which is odd. Uh, it does 
play ROM carts, which is a help. The On the inside, if you take a look, it actually has three separate clone consoles kind of bundled together, uh, which is neat. I mean, I guess that design would make sense. But overall, I really didn't like it at all. Um, first of all, the, the audio was absolutely terrible on all of the consoles. I just, I, I mean, it's... It's not even something I could pretend to stand. And I know I'm a bit of perfectionist when it comes to these things, but this is really bad. Um, the Super Nintendo freaks out when switching between 240p and 480i. So that that's actually, it makes sense, I get it, and that, uh, you know, that means it's processing it correctly as 240p. It's still a very soft uh, look. It's not the greatest upscaler. But on the Genesis side... It, uh, it works fine with 480i, and when you toggle back and forth using the uh, 240p test suite or the HD retrovision suite, um, it, there's no change. So I'm not really sure what either of those mean, um, but uh, it, it processes Super Nintendo really badly. So if you go to a black, just an all-black screen with Genesis, it looks black. But if you go and do the same thing on the Super Nintendo, it's white and gray and fuzzy. Uh, it's got some crazy noise going through it, and I don't really know. Um, that, that's that got to be a, a design flaw, some kind of mistake. Um, but the number one thing about it that really gets me is it's got terrible lag. Um, now, because it doesn't output composite and HDMI at the same time, in order for me to test lag, I would have to use a slow motion camera and then you know jump on a CRT and then just measure it that way. I, I don't have the time to do that yet. I will if you guys really want me to. And I know I'm the guy that always says, you know, show your work, post your results, and I, I tease people to just figure it out. But this time, um, I could honestly say that it's got, without a shadow of a doubt, more lag than like the Hyperkin solutions. Definitely more lag than a FrameMeister. And uh, if you, you guys would like, I could try my best to do the measurements and see exactly how much but my guess is three plus, three frames of lag plus. So that that just doesn't really make this thing, um, it's just not usable for me at all. Uh, and, you know, when I talk about clone consoles, lag is, is such an important part because there are so many people that I know that kind of go, oh, hey, aren't you the guy that plays with old games? You know, I bought this thing and it's just, you know, it kind of sucks. Do you know why? And they always end up describing the same thing. Well, when I push the buttons, it takes a while for the screen to react. And they're describing lag. Uh, and I went through and just tried to play a few seconds of a couple of games that I know. And, like, uh, in Super Mario World, I died immediately. Like, I, I didn't uh, hit the jump button in time and ran right into a Koopa. And it's just, it's, it's terrible. It ruins the experience. And what really drives me nuts is a lot of these have come very close to being great. So the Hyperkin ones that I uh, I reviewed, I think are fine for people that stream, because you could just go composite video into a CRT with zero lag, HDMI out into a capture card, and hey, that's a, a perfectly cheap way to start out streaming for somebody that, you know, maybe they're starting out, or maybe their focus is another console, but they want to just do a quick Super Nintendo stream one day. I think that's absolutely fine. But my biggest problem with the Hyperkin ones is that all they had to do was change the upscaling chip they use, and it would be a perfectly good solution for even even finicky people like me. So, um, you know, it's kind of disappointing overall, and hopefully the companies will listen to these and start to realize that we're getting smarter. You can't just sell us a plastic piece of crap and tell us it's fine and have us believe you. Uh, and if anybody wants 
or if enough people want, I will do a full review of this, but I think what might actually be a more productive review is to overall talk about why clone consoles suck, and to talk about things like this, the Hyperkin ones, and I'll grab a couple others that I've seen pop up lately, and really just uh, try to keep it halfway between technical and layman's, like I always try to, and explain why what the companies are doing wrong, what they could do right, and really just go through and show real-world examples as well of how it's different and how it would feel different when you're playing it. But uh, let me know what you guys think. And also, this was a loan, so uh, thank you very, very much for loaning this so I didn't have to buy one myself. Um, I try to buy every product that I review. I try not to take free free handouts or anything, but um, loaning, loaning products, by all means, if you guys want to let me borrow something to review, I will send it back in the exact condition that it arrived in, minus maybe the security sticker will be, uh, <laughs> will be broken, because you know I'm going to take it apart. But thank you so much for the loan, um, and it, it really just makes things a lot easier on me, so I don't have to just have stacks and stacks of stuff that uh, I never really wanted anyway. But... Hopefully that was a decent mini-review, and uh, let me know what you guys think. The first few customers have started receiving the SSD S3. That's that device that plugs onto the back of Turbo Graphics or PC Engine systems. That's an optical drive emulator, a ROM cart, and an RGB output kit. Um, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's been a rough go of the first release. Um, so I want to run through the problems quickly. And then a bit of more of an explanation of why and what to expect. So the the problems are a little bit on the ROM cart side, but nothing bad. So uh, I think people said they've had save games lost, and there was a couple of glitches. But overall, it's exactly what I would expect a first week's release of a product to be. Um, even big companies now have you know launch day firmware updates, and the Terra Onion team did a great job with the Neo SD. So I would I would expect that all of the little bugs are, uh, from the ROM car or optical drive emulator side will be worked out pretty quickly. Um, and the bigger bugs will take a while, but they're on it, and they're probably 99% fixable through firmware. So from the ROM cart side, you know, it stinks. You're an early adopter, so you should kind of expect these things, but uh, I wouldn't fault the Terra Onion team at all. Um, they've proven themselves with the Neo SD, and overall it's probably going to be a very good-working ODE or ROM cart. Um, but the problem is on the video side. So uh, there, people are reporting brightness issues and stuff, but a lot of people that are reporting that are, are, are talking about Amazon cables or eBay cables or, or cheap things that I wouldn't trust at all. Um, so I think the brightness side should be easily fixable. Um, you know, you might have to open it up and do a little bit of work on it, but whatever. The problem is, though, uh, the sync circuit and the interference noise that they're getting. And that's what we'd talked about before it was even released. And to be honest, I'm not sure if there's going to be a way to fix this on this initial run of production. So uh, it's almost looking like if you were one of the early adopters and you, quality was a, a major thing for you, you might end up having to just use an internal mod for RGB output. Um, I think composite video works okay, and if you're using a shielded uh, Genesis 2 cable that syncs on composite video, not C-Sync, composite sync, um, it's okay, but you are I, people are reporting some more interference. Uh, there was also talks of an audio buzz, but once again, I think it was from people using those cheap garbage cables, and you're going to get buzz. You're going to get buzz 
on the best modded console with the best mod inside if you don't use a shielded cable. So um, I, I wouldn't worry about that as much, I think. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, it's kind of... We all saw this coming. And I got to say, though, before I get into the other half of this, some people on the forums were absolutely terrible to these guys. And I don't really think they deserve it at all. I mean, people need to realize that in the retro gaming community, we're generally a small team of people working on a product, trying to get it out. We're not teams of people. We don't have, like, groups all testing something. And as early adopters, we should all be patient and expect certain things. And on the ROM card side of things, I, I'm behind them 100%. I think they're going to get all the little bugs worked out and through firmware updates, and this will all probably be fine soon. Um, but the, the, we called out, we meaning myself, the guys on the Retro Roundtable, and a bunch of people on the forums, called out a bunch of serious potential issues with the design of the video circuit. And I think we did it positively. I think we, we all showed our, our respect and our excitement for this product. Maybe there's a language barrier and it was taken the wrong way. It's very possible, but you know, a, a couple of serious issues were, were made aware. And the Terra Onion team chose to just release the product as is. And that, you know, I've been there before. And uh, when you're in this situation, you have a product that you need to launch. Actually, I've been in an incredibly similar situation a few times. Uh, there's no changing of the plastic at this point. You've done your tooling, you've made your runs, uh, and whatever, this is what you get. Which, I'm totally fine with that, and there's I don't think there's, there's anything wrong with the plastic. On the PCB side, um, that's where things get a little weird. So, when you're in their position, and you, you find a problem... You could say, um, well, you know what, let me, let me just do some factory revisions for the first run. Uh, maybe I'll scrap the PCBs, but not the components, and have a, a second run of that. Lose a little bit of money, sucks, but whatever. Um, and that's actually pretty much every 32X you've ever opened uh, has factory mods done to it for this reason. And I've done that before, and it generally works okay. It's never as good as the final product, but it's always passable. Um, there's the other thing that you could do is what badass consoles did. And I, I know every time I mention badass consoles, I get torn up in the, in the comments, but I, from the point of view of, uh, Michael saw an issue. He saw a lot of potential issues going forward and he pulled the plug and said, no, we're doing this a different way. Uh, that point of view, I respect very much. It takes a lot of guts to do that. And there's a lot of negativity that could come from it. Now I'm not defending his lack of communication and you know i'm still just going to delete everybody's email that says hey you mentioned michael you know where's my console where's my money i don't want anything to do with that it's i'm not defending that i am just defending the stance of i see a problem let me pull the plug um and you know michael suffered a lot for it so hopefully it ends up in a phenomenal product but you know those two choices are not what the terra onion team chose they chose to just release it as is and see what happens and I've done that before. And I've released a product. I think we shipped 2,000 of them to uh, different medical clinics with a serious flaw in it. And at the time, I thought it was the best chance based on the customer and the market and everything. And we ended up having to send a team of people to fix the mistake that I made. One of them was actually Goodwill Hunter, who I've been on the show, been on the show before. I've been on his, a friend of mine. Uh, and let me tell you, that 
that sucks. Like, that's a lot of lost sleep. So I know what Terra is going through right now. Um, and it, it's, it's awful to have to know that, you know, you made a mistake and people are dealing with it. But the bottom line is, the way they approached a few things, the people who were the early adopters, uh, the, you might not be able to really use that signal at all. Um, I think the, I, I, this is speculation, but I think they used the digital ground plane on the analog output side, which is where a lot of that interference would be. Um, so you might be able to cut some traces and reroute, I'm not sure. Uh, and they're going about sync in a way that's going to cause issues with a lot of different things. Um, and all of this really could have been avoided. Um, I believe they've reached out to a lot of the bigger players who've made great turbo graphics and PC Engine circuits. Um, from what I know, uh, everybody they've reached out to has offered their help. And it seems like this is something that's going to be corrected in the future. But, I mean, the, the product that the early adopters are definitely going to have to go with the Syncon composite video. And I'm not sure how it's going to work with, uh, with the digital interference. Once again, that part's speculation, so don't quote me on that. But, you know, as always, there was a lot of craziness. And, you know, certain forums are always worse than others. And uh, certain people are always worse than others. It just makes no sense to me how... Uh, People could feel like that's an okay to, way to act, but it, it's it's just sad because I felt really bad for that team because while they did, they made a mistake, they made a mistake that everybody called them out on before they made it. I don't I don't think they deserved the amount and the type of backlash that they got. So uh, I would just recommend to everybody that's bought one. They've offered refunds to people. Um, they've offered cancellations if yours hasn't shipped yet. Uh, and to be honest, I mean it's still if you already have a RGB modded turbo graphics or PC engine and you were just looking for a ROM cart and a optical drive emulator there's you know still a great product if you were looking to get RGB out as well um, I would wait for the next revision so I'm sure after posting this I'm gonna get another hundred pages of people calling me a scumbag looking for something for free but uh, the truth is uh, everything all of my opinions are out there for the public to comment on as you wish and so is where I get all my information so you could form your own opinion about this. Um, you could completely disagree with me. You could completely agree with me. None of that matters. All that matters is uh, I, I just presented things to you in the way that they actually happened. Uh, and I have my opinions on it. And now it's your turn to form your own. So uh, for all the haters that, that love to use that as ammo to, to write a forum post to make their dick seem bigger, have at it, I guess. But uh, if you're going to direct hate somewhere direct it my way. Leave the Terra Onion team alone. They've had enough problems the past few weeks. Um, and, you know, I, I really I, I want this product to succeed. I know I've been rambling about this for 10 minutes, so I'm going to skip to the end. Um, Romcar ODE, probably fine with a firmware update. Be a little patient. Video output circuits, iffy for Rev 1, but Rev 2 is probably going to be fine because they've reached out to people that are already experts at this. Uh, overall, I like the team, and I like the guys behind it, and no matter what anybody says, I'm still going to be a fan of their products. So, uh, I'm sorry for rambling so long, it just, there was so much drama this week involved, involving all of this, I wanted to make sure to get all of the facts out there correctly, and kind of throw my perspective on it for anybody that was wondering. So, as always, post down below, and I'll see what you got. On a much lighter note, there's talks of an NBA Jam remake. 
Now, different rumors seem to be different on uh, different publications, but Tim Kitzrow, the guy who said he's on fire, has confirmed that he's working on something um, for this year to celebrate the 25th anniversary of it. Um, the original developer, Mark Trammell, um, said he's not involved in anything, but it looks like Microsoft's involved, which is a little strange because I think EA still owns the rights to it, but... You know, whatever it is, I, I definitely want to take a look at it. Hopefully it's a full remake in the same style as the original. So, um, it, it same style meaning the same feel. So I've talked a lot about how I absolutely love Wonder Boy and Dragon's Trap. Uh, I thought it was phenomenal, and I think um, I would play that over the original. But there's been tons of remakes that came out really crappy that weren't the same feel of things. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this is a sign of awesome things to come because I absolutely loved NBA Jam. I loved the arcade version of it. I had ports for uh, Genesis and Super Nintendo. It's just a, a fun game that even if you're not the biggest basketball fan, you could still totally get into. And I just hope that that is the spirit that they capture with this version of it. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, because there are so many versions of NBA Jam and there is an anniversary this year, uh, hopefully our, our friends who do videos about this will do a good comparison of all of the different NBA Jam ports. But fingers crossed for that one. And uh, if that happens, of course, I'll let everybody know. Steve from HD Retrovision sent me a pretty interesting article on how to find counterfeit electronic components. And that's something that any of us have, who have made and sold our own boards have had to worry about at least a little bit. Um, when I was making those small amp boards, the only real component that I would worry about is the amp, and I made sure to always buy it from reputable places, because while I could have saved a few dollars here and there on buying it from just gray market resellers, you really never know what you're going to get. So here's a, a great article that kind of shows different examples of what to expect, things to look for. Um, and, you know, nobody's perfect. Uh, I don't I don't know of anybody buying counterfeit uh, products from bigger manufacturers. Um, I certainly have never gotten anything counterfeit from DigiKey. But, I mean, that's not to say it's out of the realm of possibility. So if you make your own boards, maybe skim through this article and check. Um, and just use it as a good reference of what to look for. The Kickstarter for Nestmaker has now made just about four times what they were asking for. So that project is definitely a go. And basically, Nestmaker is a way to make Nintendo games without assembly coding. So um, I'm not a, a software programmer by trade, so I'm not even going to try to explain this because I'm just going to sound dumb. But uh, if you're interested in this at all, definitely check out the link to the Kickstarter and their videos and see if it's something you'd be into. But, uh, I mean, with this amount of funding, I, it looks like it's definitely going to be a real thing. Dan, a.k.a. Citrus3000PSI, has just released another board, this one a ColecoVision RGB board. Um, it's a really nice looking design with all surface mount components that solders right to the bottom of the TI GPU, which makes for a very clean installation. Um, the only issue at all with something like this is I've been told by people that are smarter than me that there's different revisions of that chip in of the motherboards that output significantly different video. So while this is, I mean, Dan's installation makes it look even easier than before, uh, just an incredibly easy solder on, solder your uh, output connector to it, um, I think it needs an oscilloscope in order to calibrate the output values. Dan has put um, potentiometers for the RGBS lines on this board. Um, 
so I guess this is a do-it-yourself solution for people that have the right tools. Um, now, I mean, I could be talking out of my ass here. Maybe I'm just not explaining it right. But overall, um, if he makes these available to purchase, it should be a really easy way to do it, provided you just hook up your scope uh, and you would need a, a test ROM that can do a solid white screen. And if you have that, then you should just be able to dial this thing right in and uh, make for a very awesome installation. So, uh, as always, Dan's products, when they're finished, get up to uh, GitHub as open source. Um, and I'd really like to test a bit more about the ColecoVision stuff, because while it's not my favorite console, it's got some very fun games. I still love BC's Quest for Tires, which is the basic side-scrolling jump-and-duck game, but whatever, I still like it. Um, and the video output difference is massive for all of these RF-only consoles. Um, I think, you know, the Intellivision, ColecoVision, and Atari 2600, their RGB mods are just light years better than the RF output. So if you're a Coleco fan, and you or somebody you know has a scope, uh, as soon as this thing comes available, definitely check it out and try to get one for yourself. There's an Indiegogo campaign for a replacement power supply for the Saturn called the Saturn PSU Project. Um, and at the moment, it's almost raised uh, its minimum target amount, and there's 22 days left, so it probably will hit it. Um, and, you know, power supply replacement's very important because all power supplies are going to die at some point, and they will need a good, solid replacement. And I know absolutely nothing about this team, so I have no opinion, good or bad. I just do want to remind everybody that power supplies are a very sensitive thing that if done wrong could do a lot of damage. So I haven't tested really any of the replacement power supplies for Dreamcast or Saturn. Um, and I don't even know that if I would be the right person for it. In fact, I think uh, I would need people that have more of an expertise in this field to really be able to, to get the correct numbers out of it. So I, I guess that's a really long way of saying, uh, if you're looking for a replacement power supply, here's another option. Uh, but until I see um, reputable people put this thing through its paces and really uh, really come down hard on it um, that's what I want to see when from the power supply side of things you know you could put a video amp in something that doesn't look that great but that doesn't hurt anything at all so go right ahead but with power supplies uh, a lot could be damaged so I, I want to be extra extra careful about that stuff so, like I said, I don't know this team at all. I don't know the project. I, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying when it comes to power supplies, let's all just be cautious. Last week, I got a ton of emails, tweets, text messages, and everything else about the new video from the slow-mo guys that showed how TVs work in slow motion. Uh, and they show both a CRT TV as well as some flat screen examples. And as always, their videos are always great, but it was very cool to see high-quality, incredibly expensive slow-motion equipment um, take a look at a CRT. So if anybody's interested, I mean, even if you're slightly interested, definitely give this one a watch, because I think you'll enjoy it. Nintendo just released the Nintendo Labo products, which is basically a bunch of cardboard that acts as accessories. And I got mixed feelings about this, because while I understand uh, the creativity side and the, the, different, um, the totally different things this would allow you to do, it still just completely reminds me of what Cousin Scott and I used to do as, uh, as kids, where we couldn't afford any of the things that we wanted, so we would just make our own somehow, or, you know, wire something up, and having a, you know, a 
cardboard steering wheel that you use at the video game is totally some shit we would have done. So uh, maybe it's a brilliant idea uh, that we haven't realized its brilliance yet. But at first glance, it just looks like what uh, what we used to do as kids when we were, uh, you know, ghetto taping something together to make it work. But uh, hey, take a look at the video and see what you guys think. There's now a remote control overlay available for the open source scan converter, which is absolutely awesome because the OSSC uses a generic remote. And while most of the buttons are pretty easy to remember, like scan lines on and off, inputs, menu, it's still really nice just to have a reference right on the remote itself, just so you never have to forget any of the extra options it has built right in. Um, I believe they'll be available soon for both RetroGamingCables.uk, uh, .co.uk, and uh, also Video Game Perfection. Uh, I don't know if they're up right now, but they're certainly going to be available soon. So I imagine everybody that owns an OSSC is probably going to want to buy one of these, myself included, um, and I'll let everybody know when they come in. Analog's marketing team just teased a digital-to-analog converter that will work with the Super NT. Um, I, I specifically mentioned Analog's marketing team because it didn't come from Kevtris, and their marketing team is a marketing team. They do their job incredibly well, they build hype, uh, and they don't post tech specs. So uh, I'm not shitting on them, I'm just calling it like I see it. Um, they claim that it's, uh, it's going to do lag-free analog or digital-to-analog conversion, which is very plausible to do. Um, and they didn't mention if it's going to be 240p output, but they said it'll work with an RGB monitor. So once again, uh, you got to take everything their marketing team says with a grain of salt until the actual tech specs are posted and people start reviewing it. Um, but what I think it could be, and what I hope it could be, is the actual HDMI chip when uh, will output 240p, and this just simply does the digital-to-analog conversion. Because if that's the case, that means that this will also potentially be able to output a true 240p HDMI signal. And some people might be scratching their heads at that. Uh, and it, to be honest, at the moment, that really doesn't mean anything at all until 4K upscalers come out. And then it's going to make a lot of difference because now you have the raw output. You have just the basic Super Nintendo signal, all in digital form, never going to analog, sent out, you know, in its raw, untouched uh, state to an upscaler. So essentially, when 4K and even 8K years from now comes out, um, you'll still be able to use this product and you'll still be able to play your SNES games in you know, what's probably going to be a, the perfect way to do it. You'll just now be utilizing their zero lag upscaler rather than the one built into the Super NT. So it's kind of a, you know, I know I'm looking probably too far ahead, but I really think that anybody that's doing HDMI mods for consoles like this should really consider doing a direct out solution, even if it's incompatible with 99.9% .9 of devices today, because it really is just a future proof for what we might be able to use tomorrow. Um, I believe the Ultra HDMI does something similar, uh, and it's just uh, not to get into a different conversation, but I think... Uh, the Ultra HDMI's direct out mode is 480p. So maybe one day I'll get Marshall on to discuss more in details about that, but um, I just really hope that a lot of these things will be able to do direct out HDMI for all the reasons I just rambled about. 
Bordy just posted a video showing the on-screen display of his N64 RGB board, and it's looking exactly like I hoped it would, just a very easy-to-use on-screen display. Um, he's uh, posting the latest code up on GitHub for people to try, and it's not completed, but it's, uh, and it's still in its first stages. So, uh, you know, very cool addition, and thanks again to Bordy for just putting all this stuff up in open source. Mike Matei just posted a video review of Zelda The Minish Cap, and I really enjoyed it. Mike's actually been posting a lot of reviews, both on written on his blog and on YouTube, and I really hope he keeps up this other side of things. Uh, I'm a fan of his Let's Plays and stuff like that, but um, there's a lot more to that guy, so I'm glad he's showing the, uh, the other side of these, these things as well, and I hope he keeps it up. Chris Covell just found something really fucking cool. The game Hyperzone on the SNES apparently has a hidden 3D mode, and it also has a hidden interface to the Famicom 3D glasses. So if you pull apart that actual Famicom 3D box, the little black box that uh, came with the 3D glasses, you should be able to wire that into a SNES controller cord and plug it into the Player 2 port of a Super Nintendo, and then um, at the title screen, you put in a button combination, and then you could play the game in 3D only on a CRT, of course. And I love stuff like this. Um, there are so many really terrible 3D games, but there's also some great ones. Maze Hunter, or Maze Walker, if uh, you have the Japanese version, I thought it was a really great game that used the depth of 3D on the Master System to, to actually add to the game. It wasn't a cheesy effect, it really just kind of made it cool. Um, of course, uh, Missile Defense 3D, shooting 8-bit 3D missiles flying at you with a light gun. Can't really get any more uh, awesome 80s than that. And then, you know, even things like St uh, Space Harrier or OutRun 3D, just fun games. So uh, hopefully this is another one like that, and I haven't had a chance to test it yet, but um, I, I just think it's absolutely awesome. And one thing I I've wanted for a long time now is a homebrew uh, 3D board for the NES, and I guess even for the Master System as well, because it's really hard to find, uh, you know, the board only for these 3D glasses. They're getting more expensive, and some are even failing. So I, I, if anybody is in the mood and likes this stuff as much as I do, maybe come up with an open source circuit um, for either the NES or the SMS that allows you to to have just a 3.5 millimeter jack in the front, and that way you could use any generic active shutter glasses and have it, um, you know, regular just outputs on the other side, so people could either wire it up to whatever interface they want, to the, the ports on a master system so that you could actually wire one internally, or in this case, wire it up to a, a SNES controller cord and use it for uh, Hyperzone 3D. Rafnet just announced an updated SNES to GameCube controller adapter, as well as a new firmware for all their existing ones. Uh, and this one has new button mappings for the Game Boy Player, um, new button mappings for the Mega Man Anniversary Collection, and it also automatically recalls the previous mapping. Um, this has four milliseconds of latency, which is about a f one quarter of a frame 
which is freaking awesome. That uh, I believe that is imperceptible by by humans. Um, even crazy people like me probably wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, and it also is a six foot cable, so that acts as an extension as well. So I, it's been a long time since I bought a new controller adapter, and I really want to pick one of these up soon. Um, so I'll definitely keep everybody updated when I get it and see how it works with the Game Boy Player, but more importantly, the Game Boy Interface software from Extrems. Uh, and once again, congrats to Raf for making another awesome product. This next thing completely came out of nowhere, and I kind of have mixed feelings about it. It is the GCHD, the GameCube HDMI connector, which is essentially a plug-and-play GameCube video solution. Um, and it's got dual ports, so one plugs into the digital port and the other plugs into the analog. And it only outputs HDMI, so I'm assuming that it's doing, it needs the analog port to do an analog-to-digital conversion of the audio. Uh, and it looks to be a solid connector. Um, there's no pictures of the insides yet, so I don't know if it's held together with tape and glue or if it's a final product. Um, but it's available from Amazon right now, fulfilled by Amazon, which means these are already made and sitting in a warehouse ready to ship. Uh, so this is not a pre-order or anything like that. Um, and I have never heard of the Eon team that made this. But I would assume that they were a team of people that probably saw a need for a product, and rather than hype it up, they just made it themselves, and now it's up for sale. But here's the problem I have with this. Uh, there is zero mention of Unseen's work on GC Video on their website at all, which is completely in violation of all of the open source uh, licensing standards. Um, so... I mean, I understand coming out of the blue and not wanting to hype up a product and making people wait. Uh, I totally, totally am on that page, but uh, not crediting the original designer is uh, not cool at all. Um, and also, uh, not showing pictures of the inside when there's been other solutions similar to this that have been pretty notorious on the internet makes me wonder. So I hope it's a great product. Uh, I hope they update their website with proper information and it looks like an installation guide. Maybe throw some credit in there. Um, and who knows, maybe this is going to be a great solution for people that just want an HDMI output from their GameCube. Uh, but I'm pretty upset about the not mentioning unseen thing. And me personally is definitely going to wait for a dual solution, analog and HDMI. Because uh, while I am a fan of the plug-and-play stuff, I would really rather have that than any kind of cut mod. Um, I do want the dual outputs. So uh, it's $150 if you're interested. And if you get one, please uh, post your feedback. Post pictures of it and let me know what you think. I haven't ordered one, um, and I'll probably just try to borrow one from somebody to just to give my thoughts on it. Renee from DB Electronics just posted a blog post and a video about his Mega Dumper, which is his universal cartridge dumper that's open source. Uh, I really love stuff like this. I love being able to dump and save your uh, save game files as well as your own ROMs. Um, and you could obviously also use this to write to ROMs provided you have the correct kits for it and everything. But it is open source, so if anybody else is interested in making adapters, um, it is completely... Uh, open and, and waiting for people to do so. I believe he has a Master System Genesis and he's working on a Super Nintendo version. Uh, but, you know, I know 
people like BitBuilt have made their own dumpers and things like that. Maybe they'd consider making an adapter for the Game Boy version of this, or heck, maybe even making and selling this because it is open source. But either way, I, I do enjoy products like this, and um, anything, anytime we can have our own tools to, to mega dump our own carts, this definitely makes life easier for the people that need it. HD Retrovision just posted kind of a neat article. Uh, we'd already talked about it on the roundtable, so I'll give the short, short version. But uh, basically, somebody put up a video uh, showing that the HD Retrovision cables were outputting wrong video, and then they showed their tests to prove why but they were actually testing wrong, which I have sympathy for because that's totally a mistake that I would make myself, actually. But Steve took the time to actually explain the proper way to test, uh, explain why that's the proper way to test, and then show that their cables actually do fall perfectly within the tolerance. But, um, you know, we got into this discussion on the roundtable, uh, so I'll, if you're interested more, I would recommend that you listen to that instead. But I, I kind of think it's cool because while that took a lot of time and maybe was unnecessary, uh, any time that you could show how you got to the conclusion you came to is kind of helpful for everybody. Uh, so, you know, thanks to Steve for taking the time to write all that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would like to hope that the person who posted that just made an honest mistake. But hopefully they'll see it and respond. And speaking of the roundtable, we had one of those last week, so if anybody's interested, the link's down below. Uh, I really enjoy doing that. Um, we get a lot of positive feedback. We've also got a ton of negative feedback from people, um, and the most that I hear is that we all uh, talk about how uh, talk about things as if we're the final word and act like we're better than everybody else, which kind of makes me laugh, and it makes me pretty sure that they haven't actually watched one of them. Because anybody that sits through those uh, sees how brutal we are to each other. Uh, both uh, kind of to be funny, but also we don't let anybody get away with anything. In, you know, meaning in the round table. And I love it because it makes us better. You know, makes us uh, makes us check our work more, uh, keeps us honest. I, I, I don't know. I, I enjoy stuff like that. Uh, we're a group of people that respect each other. We're all similar interests, but very different. And uh, I do like that when we come to whatever conclusions we come to it is very objective and you know we add our opinions because like i said we're only human but uh it kind of cracks me up so it, as always negative or positive feedback fire away down below i'd love to hear what people think uh and i i especially love when trolls think that they're really getting us with one but it just makes them look like total losers so <laughs> keep them coming guys well, I've been continuing to beat it in 2018 right alongside Renee, and this week was Axiom Verge for the Switch. Uh, I loved the game when I first played it on the Wii U, and now that I've played through it a second time, I'm a little more critical of it, but I still love it. Um, so first and foremost, playing on the 8-bit Doe controller, uh, I absolutely loved. Um, you know, they did try to jam a little too much in the same size as a SNES uh, controller shell, so I actually would have liked if it was a little bit bigger, but it's not really a complaint. That's just maybe I just my big fucking meat claws, you know, maybe I need smaller hands or something. But um, as far as the game goes, uh, after playing a bunch more Metroidvanias since I first played this, I, I was a little critical of a few things about it. And the one thing that I noticed is that at the end of all of these other Metroidvanias, there's always a way to cheat your way across. So, you know, the the um, screw attack in Super Metroid, 
so now you're at the end of the game and you kind of want to bounce around looking for secrets, you could pretty much go through the entire map and not barely have any damage at all. And it's not quite so easy in Axiom Verge. You do have that one coat that lets you zip around, but it's not as intuitive. And there's really no one gun that's like the end-all be-all. There's no plasma beam. At least one that I, I haven't found one. Maybe there is. And I think that's something that I would have really enjoyed, where if uh, now that I'm, I'm done with the game and I beat it, uh, I got most of the map done, but I only got 58% of the secrets. So I would have loved to have gone back and just kind of zip through, but there's still parts that kick my ass when I go through them. So it would have been nice to have some kind of uh, cheat weapon at the end, at the very end of the game, that just allows you to go and kind of explore the atmosphere. Um, there was one part that I still got stuck on, even though it was the same exact part I got stuck on last year when I played it for the Wii U. I had just forgotten, um, and I had to cheat by looking it up again, but that was the only time I had to cheat. Um, with each other part, uh, it was either my own fault or just a learning curve. So there's a, without giving anything away, um, if you're interested in the part that I needed to cheat for, I'll put the link down below. But the other stuff, like I got a new ability, and then I get back to another point where I couldn't get through, uh, forgetting that I had that new ability. So I wandered around for 15 minutes and went, oh, you're an idiot, go, go use that ability, and now you're back on. Um, and the other thing was the, the actual bosses themselves. I loved that they all had kind of a pattern. There was one that was a little annoying at the end where you mostly just sit there and get killed and it's just a matter of showing up with the right amount of life and dodging it randomly. But for the most part, every enemy, including the last one, had a specific strategy that you could figure out. And sometimes I got it immediately just by luck and other times it took a couple of times to figure out where to stand, what to do, what was the most effective weapon, because that's something Axiom Verge does really well is matching a weapon to a boss, very much like Mega Man actually. So um, overall I did, I do still love it, still love the story. The only other thing that bugged the shit out of me was sometimes I'd see a place that was hard to get to and I would, you know, spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get there and when I'd, sometimes I'd actually have to go continue the game and then come back to it and then it would be a piece of lore, which in the game is just basically like a, a bit of the story. And I felt the exact same way I felt in Super Metroid when I would find a place that was really hard to get to and I'd get a missile. And it's, I just wish that for working that hard, you would get a better reward. Uh, I don't know what reward you would get, but whatever. Um, but the only other thing, too, that I did notice in this is the first time I played it, and this time, I, I pretty much blew through it in a couple of days. Uh, you know, I just picked times where I had some, some extra free time, which I normally don't. And I didn't retain a lot of it. Uh, which is, you know, how I don't want to go off on a psychology thing, but, you know, a lot of part, a, a big part of learning is uh, sleeping, retaining that information, and then waking up the next morning. And I think when you blow through, you know, three or four hours at a clip and finish the game, it's a lot harder to retain stuff. So I guess it's good in that I forgot most of it and was able to experience the game pretty fresh just a year later. But it's not as good in that I wasn't as absorbed into the story that I've been into in a lot of other games. Um, and the story's great. That's not a, a criticism of that. So, you know, like, there were times as a kid where it took... I think the first time I beat 
a link to the past. It was, you know, an insane amount of hours and lots of hunting, and there was no internet cheating. If uh, if Cousin Scott didn't know the answer, then I was figuring it out myself. My uh, my internet cheat was, was calling Scott at 10 o'clock at night when we were 12 and getting yelled at by his mom for calling him at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because it took so long, it absorbed a lot more, and I was able to just remember little details so I don't really know which is better. Um, I'm wondering if uh, if streamers and speedrunners have different thoughts on this. Uh, I know this is a weird thing to talk about, but I will be interviewing Carsey soon, and I'm definitely, definitely going to talk to him about that. But overall, I just absolutely love the game. Um, you know, I just wish some of the other things that I'd mentioned about it, you know, uh, like one cheat gun just to blow through. Uh, I wish you didn't have to backtrack as much as you did and there was a quicker way to get across the, the whole map so I could explore a lot more. But, I mean, it's still one of my favorite games ever, not one of my favorite newer games. It's probably in my top 25 of all time. Um, there's talks of them making a sequel, but they didn't really... Or maybe not necessarily a sequel, but the the creator's making another game, but there's no details. So while his original vision of this was in a very 8-bit Nintendo style... It's my hope, selfishly, of course, that his next game is in the 16-bit style. So I guess we'll see when we get there. Uh, the next game that I, I, I'm going to try to beat is Sonic Generations, the one that was just released for the Switch. And uh, is it Generations? I'm probably getting the title wrong. I'm sorry if I, I screwed that one up. The last Sonic game that was released for the Switch that was made by Christian Whitehead. Um, and to be honest, I, I loved the first couple of levels, but for whatever reason, I just got bored with it. Maybe it's because I was getting into Breath of the Wild. Maybe it's the controller. Maybe now with uh, the, uh, the SNES-style controller, I'll like it more. But I want to finish that one, uh, and then I have a, a bunch of work coming up, so I might not actually be able to play a game for quite a while afterwards. But... Uh, yeah, that's uh, a little longer than I expected to talk about it, but with a game like Axiom Verge and one that I like as much as that, I really just wanted to give my honest opinions. Um, and, as always, uh, beat it with us, guys. Uh, guys and gals, uh, post your hashtag beatit2018 in a picture or video of the end so we could all kind of... It, it's a lot of fun that we're all doing this together, and we get to see what games we've completed and stuff like that. So... Uh, thanks to Renee for the the idea of all of us beating it together, and uh, you know thanks to everybody that's I've seen up on Twitter and Instagram and stuff uh, posting their their beat its. So thanks guys, and uh, I'll keep everybody updated with the next one. All right, now it's time for the Patreon giveaway. This month is uh, the the repost of last month of the backlit Game Boy Advance with the shoulder strap not fanny pack. Uh, and this time we did it where everybody posted in the actual Patreon page, and I took the names. So, as always, I kind of wanted to be transparent about this and show everybody how I did it and get people's feedback. So, basically, I, uh, I edited the post to say that, you know, all submissions are have been taken as of now, and then I copied everybody's name from down below and pasted it into Notepad, and then from Notepad into a spreadsheet, and then I went through and deleted everything that wasn't a name, and then, of course, referenced the number on the spreadsheet to the actual number in the Patreon app, just to make sure I didn't miss anybody's names. And I got it right in the first try, shockingly. Uh, then I took those out of the spreadsheet, back into a notepad, and then into the Spinwheel Picker app. Uh, so, <laughs> all of that, it didn't take too long, but that's like a pretty convoluted way to do this. I don't think Patreon has any tools to do this. 
Uh, but if anybody has any suggestions, please let me know because I, I, you know, I didn't spend too much time looking, but I didn't find any tools that could do this. And it would be really awesome if there was a more automated way to do it. But you know, anyway, uh, on to the important part. Here is the actual drawing for the giveaway. All right, here we go. The winner of the backlit Game Boy Advance with the glass screen mod and the case. Vince Fond. Well, congratulations, Vince. I hope you like it. Um, if I don't hear from you by the weekend, I'll email you directly. Uh, but I'll give it a few days because I really do think it's a fun thing to be able to see your name drawn on camera and really to have everybody kind of just enjoy this together. Um, also, you know, please, uh, suggestions on how to do the actual name picking. If anybody knows of a better way to do it, I'm down. And because I believe uh, next week is going to be the last week in uh, January. So I'm actually going to announce February's giveaway next week, and then the following week, give that away. So we'll all have time to practice this. Uh, and definitely didn't skip a month. Even though it's the end of the month, this is January's. And I'm going to just go back to doing them. Uh, actually, from now on, it should be the way it continues. Uh, like the last, the last ish week of the month, I'll announce the giveaway, and then the following week, I will actually do the drawing. So, um, I'm definitely, you know, any suggestions, please let me know. Uh, let me know what you thought of all this. Um, and uh, just most importantly, thank you so much for donating because, uh, you know, you really, without the Patreon donations, I wouldn't have been able to keep going. Uh, and really make all this stuff happen. And I feel like, while some of it's fun, I feel like uh, I am at least making a little bit of difference, both trying to get the information out and archived. So I'm going to keep fighting as long as I can, and thank you so much for all your help and support, and uh, we'll do this again next weekend. Now on to the Q&As. Last week I talked about that new 5-port switch from Lotharec, the Hydra Mini or something. Uh, and I get a lot of negative feedback about that section, and I don't really get it. Um, you know, I test stuff, and I give my opinion on it, and that's kind of where my fanboyish lies in how stuff works. So, uh, you know, I've tried all of Super G's products, and I'm a huge fan because he makes great freaking products. Uh, and yeah, they do sell out very quickly, which seems to annoy everybody, but there's a reason for that. It's because everybody wants one. Um, I've tested the Hydra, and it didn't work as well for me, so I told people. Uh, and I also just don't see where that $115 price point fits in when there's better, slightly more expensive options uh, and equal, slightly less expensive options. Um, and I also don't understand the hate for the Otaku Switch. I think if anybody would want to shit on a cheap, uh, you know, a cheap SCART Switch that looks like it might not be the highest quality, it would be me. And I tested it and I liked it. So I don't... Uh, I don't really understand where the, the negativity uh, and all the weird posts I saw was coming from, but I call it like I see it, and if Super G ever makes a shitty product, I'm going to tell everybody. So that's, uh, there's no fanboyish here. There's just a nerd that loves nerdy shit. Uh, so if I offended anybody, I don't really feel bad this time because I just kind of laying it out the way I see it. Um, but sorry to the Lotharek fanboys. Next, Blackened posted about attempts to port AM2R to the Vita, the 3DS, and Android. Um, and I haven't really been following up on that ever since you know the, the project had to come to a halt. 
But uh, if anybody knows more info about that, maybe send me a private email if you don't want to make that uh, information public or anything, because I love that game. And while playing it through a PC, either via analog on a CRT or through a flat screen, it's a perfectly good way to play it. I think it would be very, very cool to have some kind of console way to play it. So locked buttons to a console's controller or whatever it might be. Um, it's uh, you know it's kind of weird that it's only getting ported to handhelds, where I think it would be amazing on other platforms. But if anybody knows the answer to that, please let me know. Um, and if somebody has one on the Vita, uh, you know, just post your thoughts back and, and let me know how it works. And speaking of the Sony handhelds, Legend Band asked. What do you think is the ideal way to play PSP games on a TV? Well, I know the PSP does have a component video output, and the guys from My Life in Gaming seem to like it a lot, but to be honest, I don't really have much experience with any of the Sony handhelds. Um, I owned one, I think I owned the original, and kind of just hacked it and played a few games and then just lost interest, but at that time I wasn't really playing too many video games, so it doesn't that doesn't speak to the handheld, that just spoke to the time of my life, but... Um, I think that's a great question, and I would love to hear what everybody has to think about it. Uh, is there a de facto way of playing all of the Sony games on a TV? I've heard of people, I know Martin showed me pictures of his consoleized uh, PSP, I believe it was, and all that stuff looks awesome, but uh, I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say, and what if there's like proper procedure for doing that stuff, and maybe I'll look into playing one of the consoleized versions one of these days. Next, T1... I don't I don't even know if that's a thing. Uh, a, a name that doesn't make sense to me, I think is a bunch of random numbers and letters, asked, with the Game Boy printer emulator, there's already something similar called the BitBoy that will let you print Game Boy pictures to an SD card. That's really cool. Um, I didn't know that even existed, so thank you for sharing, and I wanted to share it with everybody else. And I also wanted to try to pronounce whatever that screen name is, which I can't. <laughs> And lastly, Adam Burns had a question about using BNC splitters on a PVM, and I want to make sure that I explain this correctly, because there's a few different ways that uh, his question could be interpreted, as well as similar scenarios. So first, whenever you have an analog signal outputting, analog video signal, um, you don't want to just use a Y cable to split that, because you're going to end up drawing twice as much from that console source, whatever it is. So the best example is if you have like uh, component video outputs and you use a bunch of Y cables to go from one to a TV and one to a capture card, that's not a good idea. And if you're going directly from a console or something, you could actually damage it in the long term by really just putting taxing that video output circuit too much. They're not really designed for that. Mo most aren't. Some, some are okay. Um, and that's exactly why switches like the Otaku switch, you could only use one output or the other, not both at the same time. Whereas switches like the GSCART switch Lite or the original has the correct circuitry to output two, uh, two separate outputs. Um, that's not always the case with audio. And I might be wrong about this, but I've always felt safe um, combining or splitting audio signals like that. And I think it's... It, it, the root of the issue is in the voltage and the way the signals are actually uh, outputted. So, for example, um, putting left and right audio into a Y cable into a PVM, I'd be fine by doing that. I don't think that would hurt anything. Please correct me if I'm wrong, anybody watching, but uh, I just I wouldn't be worried about something like that. But what Adam seems to be asking is, 
having two inputs or taking one input of a PVM and putting two sources into it, but only powering one on at a time. And what I think happens when you do that, using just like a a BNC Y cable or something like that, uh, is the signal travels down both sources uh, because there's no diode protection or anything in there. So uh, it might not be the best thing to do. You might get some signal loss. Um, I don't know if it could cause any damage on either side of things, but overall it's not great practice. Um, I don't know about PVMs with uh, inputs and outputs though, because I've seen people, and in testing I've done so too, uh, treat those as two inputs, uh, and it didn't seem to make a difference. Obviously you can't have them both on at the same time, but I think when you have the in and out like that, I think there's protection circuits in there to prevent them from causing any major harm. But, I mean, the way I kind of look at these things, right, is you have pieces of equipment that are expensive and rare and expensive and hard to fix, and they're not really chances that I would want to take on any of these things. The only chance I would take is combining left and right audio with a Y cable into the mono input of a PVM. As far as video goes, I mean, if you've already tracked down a PVM, I would just take the time to find the correct switches, the correct splitters, and things like that, and not chance anything. Um, BVMs are more sensitive than PVMs. PVMs are generally built like tanks. Uh, it would take a lot to damage them, but I still wouldn't. I still wouldn't take the chance. Uh, so, if any EEs want to comment on this down below and maybe clarify. Um, exactly what it is that I was saying in each part, or uh, if if you guys want a much more in-depth discussion about this, this is the perfect type of thing to talk about on the Retro Roundtable. So either way, uh, if you're interested, post down below, and I hope my, uh, my long rambly answer kind of put things into better perspective. Before I go, I want to talk about an interview I did last week with Marat Fezulin, who is an emulator creator that I have been following since I was a kid. Uh, I even told a story about when uh, I actually got a, a bunch of facts wrong in that interview, but one that I got right, that I know I got right, was there was one version of his emulator that somehow had his phone number on it. And uh, little asshole me at 12, 13, something like that, called him and asked for tech support on his emulator that I had stolen because I was a kid and couldn't afford it. Uh, and I, I distinctly remember all of that. Uh, I told him the story, and he was not amused. <laughs> In the interview, that story was followed by dead silence for quite a while. So uh, I'm sorry, Marat, if you were offended by that. Uh, I thought I was telling a mildly funny story about a shitty kid who grew up to appreciate and support all of these guys. But uh, massive fan of all of his emulators. Uh, the work that he's done for the community has been a help, and uh, I don't even know how he was able to get his start for some of those. Uh, I was trying to get more of his backstory out of him, but uh, I think he shared as much as he wanted to, and uh, just uh, stuff like that is just unfathomable to me, you know, how you could just come up with something so amazing with so little to start from. So, huge, huge fan of his work. Uh, If you guys use Android platforms and want some great emulators, definitely check his stuff out. All the links are down below, including uh, his Twitter and Google+, as well as direct links to the Android store where you could buy all of his stuff. Uh, And I I do appreciate him taking the time to come on because he's a very busy guy that um, didn't didn't really want to do an interview, but I just kept bothering the shit out of him. So thank you, Murat, very much. Um, But that's pretty much it for this week. 
Uh, I have a few other things going up for sale in the store in the next couple of days. So if anybody's interested, um, you know, please just check back on the, the both the store page on my website and then click right on the link to the eBay page. Um, and a couple of, you know, like I had said before, fun announcements coming up. But as always, thank you to everybody who supports the channel, all of the Patreons, uh, all of the awesome people that I've gotten to meet across 90 episodes of doing this stuff. Uh, I just, this is all very awesome to me, and I appreciate all of it very much. And uh, I might get grumpy sometimes, but I hope everybody realizes how happy I am to be doing this and how much I appreciate everybody that I've met and all the cool shit that I've gotten to see. So thank you guys very much, and I'll see you next time.